Welcome to She Wrote That. Here, our goal is to uplift hardworking female writers, bloggers, authors, journalists, and storytellers. Each episode features a conversation with a different female writer, where we dig deep about everything writing-related, from being a woman in the industry, to developing stories, to editing style, to mentorship. Thank you for joining me for episode 10 of She Wrote That. I'm your host, Charlotte Barnes. I am so excited to be back today with another great guest. Today's guest is screenwriter Heidi Nyberg. Heidi is a television and film writer originally from the Silicon Valley. She graduated cum laude from the television and film program at San Jose State University and completed the UCLA professional screenwriting program in both television and film. She focuses on female-driven dramatic comedies that explore themes of independence, grief, and sometimes murder. Her work has won several respected contests and been featured on the blacklist for pilots. Heidi has written, directed, and produced sketches and short films, and co-produced the award-winning coming-of-age comedy feature, Always Learning. She currently splits her time between Los Angeles and Santa Cruz. She lives with her partner, their two young children, and their house manager slash cat. We discussed everything from what inspires her scripts, to the many benefits of entering screenwriting competitions, to what the writing process for a pilot is like for her. Stay tuned to hear our discussion. began your career as a data analyst and you worked for Netflix. So tell me a bit about why you switched gears from that career and decided to go into screenwriting. Well, I think, um, you know, when I was really little, I wanted to um, write. I was really into, I was a latchkey kid, so I watched a lot of television by myself Mm -hmm. at home. And um, I would think about how I could write those stories but as a child I thought that the actors were just making up the lines and I (laughs) didn't want to be an actor because I didn't want to stand in front of people and do that so for a really long time you know until I was maybe I don't know how old I I realized that my mom said you know no people writers write that and you don't have to stand in front of people you can just write that and I was like well I'm gonna keep track of that you know (laughs) so but you know life happens and um I graduated high school and then I I went right to work uh, similar to how my mom did and um, eventually I just I was working at Netflix and you know working with all these studios and doing some of the uh, sweepstakes things working with studios and working with um, new titles and putting them on the site and you know reading synopsis and just feeling like I really don't want to be on this side of it. I wanted to be on the other side, on the creative mm-hmm. end of it. And so I uh, I took a screenwriting class that was in Cupertino at this little, like I think it was an, an office building and they took over for the weekend. And I really liked it. It was the woman had written for New Heart, the New Heart show, which is a much older show. And, mm-hmm. and um, I think her name was Madeline. And I enjoyed the class and I started thinking about doing that and, but I was working, you know, at Netflix and doing, you know, data. And the thing about data is um, it is storytelling because you get these numbers and they're just numbers on a page. And then you 
analyze them and you come up with a story of what's going on for customers mm -hmm. or what's going on for, I did analysis for in healthcare for, for a long time. And I did analysis for a wine distributor. So every number tells a story. So that felt like um, a sort of seamless transition in a lot of ways. So I decided to go back to school, you know, at a later age. I didn't go to college when I was right out of high school. And I signed up for their radio, television, and film program at San Jose State. And I really loved it. And I loved, I knew right away that I had made the right decision. It was just so perfect, you know, being on mm -hmm. set. And th that school's really hands-on. It has a television studio and it has a radio station. And they were making at that time a feature film every year uh, over the summer. So you got wow. a ton of hands-on experience with, you know, really experts and people who knew what they were doing and who had worked in the industry. We we worked with a man, Ned Kopp, who was um, a first AD on, um, on a movie I'm blanking out on right now, but anyway, oh, American Graffiti, huge movie. Mm -hmm. And he was great. He had so much um, knowledge to impart on all the students. And so that was kind of how I made that transition, just kind of realizing that I felt like I was on the wrong end of things and I wanted to create the content rather than you know, sort of sell the content. And it's kind of funny because once you create the content, you need to sell the content. So <laughs> they really go hand in hand. So now I kind of find myself on both sides where I'm writing things and then I'm also pitching things. And mm -hmm. so it's, um, it's kind of come a little bit full circle in that way. And as was pitching at Netflix, that was a big full circle moment for me. Mm -hmm. um, you know, having worked there and then having been invited in to pitch a show and meeting at the studio or their offices in LA, it was very um, kind of surreal, you know, I wouldn't have thought of that, you know, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have thought, oh, wow, maybe I'll one day <laughs> be sitting in their offices pitching my own show. So <laughs> it was kind of cool. Yeah, that, that definitely sounds like a full circle moment. Yeah, would have been a better full circle if they bought the show, but next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'll get them next time. Yeah, I'm on it. <laughs> Would you say that seeing that industry from the business side, do you think that's helped you in your career and in getting into screenwriting? Um, I don't, I think definitely the storytelling element of it is, has been helpful. Um, plotting is, a, is, can be very mathematical. It's a different side of your brain um, when mm -hmm. you're plotting a story. And so having that ability to step out of character and kind of think about you know, the structure of a story has been really helpful. And a lot of times I think that I'm a character person when I'm writing, but I'm also really um, interested in plot. And I, I once took this class, um, I take a lot of classes. I just think there's just so much to learn just across the board in all subjects. And mm -hmm. uh, this one screenwriting class, the teacher was telling us, you know, about how plotting can be done on the opposite side of the brain, um, more mathematical. And he suggested that you go do some math, some like complicated math problems before you start working on your plot. And then it really works. Like it works for me. It, it really worked for me to get my mind in a different framework and sort of um, see things from that other side of your brain, not be so character. I mean, I, I always choose plot lines that are um, complementary to the character that challenge the character and speak to the theme mm -hmm. of what the character is about and what they're going through. But um, structure-wise, it's really helpful to kind of come at it from that direction. So in that way, I would say it's helpful, 
Not that I'm a math expert. I'm definitely not. <laughs> but um, analysis is a little bit different. It's more storytelling. So I think that's been helpful. Um, as far as the actual work of what the stories ended up being, when you look at the data, it's more about, you know, what people, what people are watching, what they like um, mm -hmm. from an anonymous perspective and um, seeing, you know, things that are trending and that kind of thing. And then also looking at, it was user data too. So we learned a lot about how users interacted with the site. Um, so that was a little bit different, but I do think that being on that side helps you kind of see what people gravitate towards. But then again, audiences are always changing. So that kind of information from back then wouldn't be helpful now, but it is helpful to think about, you know, what people gravitate towards, kind of be in the moment of, and reading a lot is also really helpful. Reading lots of scripts that are, that are well-written to kind of get, you know, your feet in there and really kind of see what works and what doesn't. And then to mm -hmm. kind of see how you can put your own spin on things. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And you talked about the math angle of that, which that sounds fascinating. I never would have thought to do math and then sit down and start plotting. But do you think there's anything else beneficial that you learned in school that sticks with you today in your career? Oh, I think the biggest thing that I learned to do that is, is a challenge for anyone in any career, really. I mean, screenwriting... Um, is a different kind of job because you you write something and you put it out there and it's one of few jobs where people immediately their first thing to do is to critique it and criticize mm -hmm. it and take it apart and analyze it and so I think um, taking screenwriting classes you know in college and after college and I went to the UCLA professional program and really learning how to take a note and how to see it as sort of a separate thing from yourself because you write something and it feels very personal. You usually write it alone mm -hmm. when you're not in a, you know, a TV writer's room. You're writing alone much of the time. And, you know, you bounce things off writer's groups and that kind of thing. And, and you're always getting notes. And um, I think learning how to listen graciously and be able to sit back and sort of let the note marinate and just kind of think about what it really means and see the note behind the note. Because oftentimes someone will say something about your script and you'll, it will, you'll have a visceral experience to that note. Like you'll feel like you don't really see it that way. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, no matter what the note has been, I, I will always, always look at the note um, and see what's really behind it. Is it, you know, if the person doesn't understand a certain story element, is that because, you know, the character isn't clear or I'll just always look at it no matter what. And I'll usually do a pass um, on that part of the script or the whole script based on, you know, whatever notes I get. And mm -hmm. even if I didn't agree with the note, even, even if the note doesn't really actually apply, I can still, um, I always find a way to make it better. So in the end, all notes are helpful. And, mm -hmm. uh, I think that was the biggest lesson to learn. I particularly learned that at UCLA where we would have, um, online meetings, you know, and, everyone would read each other's work and just be really, really honest about, mm -hmm. you know, what they're reading and, and just to get the best script you can possibly get. And I think that was probably the biggest, the biggest skill I had to learn because everything else is kind of, you know, you can, you can learn how to structure a story and, and the stories come from, for everyone from different places. So I already know where my stories kind of come from. So mm -hmm. that was the biggest biggest thing I learned was learning how to take a note and really use it 
and understand it in every way. Yeah, that is so, so important as a writer, whether you're a screenwriter or like I come from more of a journalism background, being able to set the work aside from you. Because a lot of times you write something and it feels like it's a part of your soul Mm -hmm. and you're putting yourself out there. But it's really important to know when people edit or leave you notes, they don't hate you. They just want your work to be as best as it can be. Yeah, you can't take it personally. And you, um, I usually try to just write something and then I sort of separate myself from it. And then at a certain point, it becomes like a puzzle to me that I can go back to and, and look at and study and kind of shift things around. And it's almost like Sudoku, just trying to get it to this perfect place, but it's never perfect because you're always getting notes no matter what. And even if you sell it, you'll get more notes and then you'll have a cast and then the people playing the roles will have their notes on the characters and the story. And so it's, it's just really collaborative. And I will say that as far as biggest things I learned at Netflix, that helped me now would be collaboration. Um, Working at Netflix was extremely collaborative. We have, you know, I was a product manager, so I had a team and that team was a QA and an engineer and a a writer. And so all those people together, you know, and a user interface person, and we would work to make the product, whatever feature on the site we're working on to make it better. And so coming from that collaborative background really well prepared me for what what I'm hoping to experience in the writer's room of a TV show, which is just being extremely collaborative and uh, having it certainly helped me on set, uh, producing, having all those different teams working together to create one, you know, creative piece of artwork. And I think that was the biggest thing that helped me coming out of that, that industry it wasn't so much the analysis as it was the team and collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds like that experience and that collaboration at Netflix also contributed to being able to take notes and work together. Yeah, absolutely. And do you have any advice for others who may want to pursue a different interest or change their career path like you did, but maybe lack the courage or don't know where to start? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think the best thing to know is this is never too late. You hear about people, you know, in their 70s getting, you know, their first Oscar or their first movie made and Mm -hmm. doing really well. And I think in society, we have a tendency to really um, focus, you know, on youth and what youth brings to the table. And there's no doubt that that fresh experience is definitely something we need. But I also think that experience and wisdom or whatever knowledge you've gained that you know, people might call it wisdom, but it's just, you know, learning from living kind of thing. Um, and experience, definitely. I've worked at so many mm-hmm. jobs. And um, I mean, I've been a maid. I've been, I've been like <laughs> really a lot of jobs. And not because I was, you know, flighty or leaving different jobs. Just I started working very young. I started working when I was 12. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, in my teens, I had a lot of different jobs. And I think that you should always remember that while you might not have done this specific job before, there's so much you can pull from your past that will inform this, this jump into something new. And Mm -hmm. it really does um, come down to how you use what you've learned. And I think being courageous, you know, and 
thinking that you can do it. You need to think you can do it. You need to believe you can do it. Otherwise, it's just pointless. Mm-hmm. Uh, really believing in yourself and, and also knowing that you have a lot to offer, even if you haven't done that particular job before and just trying to mine that experience for things that will help you in your new endeavor. And I know that when I was pitching in the Netflix room that first time, I really finally felt like this is exactly what I want to do. I'm in exactly the the right place, the place I've always probably should have been. And you can't look back and think, I wish I would have done it sooner because you just you have to always look forward but I think Mm -hmm. that um knowing having that feeling you know in the room and just knowing that I was in the right place made all the doubt and wonder and feeling if I was being selfish to you know quit working and go back to school and you know writing at night and having time away from the kids and it made it it made it really solidified it in my mind that I that I was doing the right Mm -hmm. thing and and no, really important, no, there's going to be ups and downs. Like it is, especially if you're going to go into screenwriting, it's, um, it's just crazy. I mean, you see people who, I know a lot of people who are very well established and they have days that are brutal and they want to quit and they're, you know, and, and I'm mm-hmm. thinking, well, you can't quit because I'm not quitting. So <laughs> you really can't quit. So, um, you know, so I just, um, would say stick with it and, learn as much as you can and expand your network and just be open to knowledge and expanding everything that you know and yeah 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 that's definitely very important um what you said about jobs it reminded me I don't know if you ever heard of this podcast called girl boss radio no I haven't heard of that it's by the company girl boss which I think might be disbanding I don't know what's happening with that but the it, they interview successful women and the first question always is what was your first job and it's always stuff like working at the grocery store yeah. or I was a dancing clown and it, it's so interesting to see how people's first work experiences contribute to what they do and pursue their and how they pursue their dreams later in life it's funny and it's funny that you say that because my second job was at a movie theater <laughs> And we didn't pop our own popcorn. We had we came in bags. <laughs> it was terrible. <laughs> and the bags were stored up up the stairs with the um, with the can where the where the cameras were that played the you know the reels. And so we'd have to bring down this huge bag of popcorn. And it was not discreet because it was right through the lobby, just dragging <laughs> it. And uh, I was doing that one day, and the bag broke, and the popcorn was just all over the oh lobby. So yeah, that was fun. But yeah, working in a movie theater was also um, I was watching uh, that show, Th- 13 Reasons Why, and the girl mm-hmm. in that show, she worked in a movie theater, and the outfit was the same, and I was like, oh, the burgundy vest and the bow tie <laughs> brought back so many memories. <laughs> did you get to watch yeah. all the movies? Yeah, we did. Well, we only got 20-minute breaks, so we got oh. to watch the movies in little 20-minute spots, so you were kind of, you know, you came in when you came in, and we didn't get <laughs> to come. I was really young. I was 15, so mm-hmm. I wasn't able to go, you know out at night and go to the movies at that at that age but on my breaks I would but it was a bummer because it was during this period of time where it was all scary movies like a lot of those kind of 80s you know and so I wasn't really into those movies so Mm -hmm. yeah it was funny but (laughs) well that still definitely ties into what you're doing today yeah absolutely (laughs) so getting in a little more into your writing and your writing process 
Do you have any major inspirations or experiences that influence your stories or like what you like to include in your scripts? Yeah, I, um, everything I write is personal in some way. So, um, Fab Girls, you know, the um, one about Silicon Valley in the 70s and mm-hmm. the women, the uh, single moms of those days is inspired by my mom who uh, worked in the valley as a, uh, in the fabrication labs and um, with all these other women who, you know, didn't have college degrees and uh, they were mostly single moms. And so that show is inspired by, by that time period. Uh, they actually built and tested everything in Silicon Valley uh, and no one knows about them. They were sort of the, you know, blue collar backbone of the birth of Silicon Valley. Mm. And it's kind of all during you know, the sexual revolution, kind of the height of that, and it was no-fault divorce, so you had, like, a lot of single moms. So um, that story was inspired by that. Uh, every story has a personal element to it, even though, even even if it seems like, how could that have a personal element to it? You know, I've got this new uh, script uh, called Least Favorite Animal, and it's about, it's basically Dexter meets Real Housewives, Mm-hmm. So these women are kind of vigilantes, but they're kind of fish out of water. It's a dark comedy. They're not used to killing people, but <laughs> they're, you know, just getting on their feet about it. Um, so <laughs> it's a, a lot of really dark humor. And that show, while it seems like, well, how could that be personal? You're not ki- killing people. So, But that was show was born out of uh, the neighborhood I live in and sort of just turning it up to level 11 uh, where we had a person who was a murderer that was living in our neighborhood and they were living in what's called section eight housing, which is housing for people who, you know, are, don't make a lot of money. And so, but he did, and he was also, you know, a convicted murderer. And so we really, everybody kind of really wanted him out of the neighborhood because he was pretty dangerous. You know, there were episodes that had happened throughout the years that he lived here and so I just kind of thought, wow, what if, what if we really, really wanted him out of the neighborhood, you know? And when you're a writer, it's very easy to go from zero to 11 and just mm-hmm. imagine this world where, where that would be okay, you know? <laughs> so, and so that's the story of, of these um, women who are these, these vigilantes. So it does, even though it seems like how could that even remotely be personal story, it, it actually is. Um, I have another story that's about um, a pilot that's about, these are all pilots, about a man who is a, he's a surgeon, a surgical intern, and his son was uh, killed. It was pretty much his fault, and he he wants his son back, so he, he goes to, like, you know, defies science, essentially, everything he believes in, to um, to bring, to resurrect him, and he finds someone who can actually do that. And that's another case where it's like, how could that remotely be personal? Well, it was because I met someone who, um, who had twins and one of them died and then he, he never saw the other twin again. He just never did. And I just always thought that, that grief, you know, uh, that is so overwhelming to what end would you go? What would you betray? What would you, who would you become if, if the grief was so overwhelming? That it, that it changed you, you know, and so that's where that story came from. And so, yeah, they're all they're all personal, um, personal inspiration, personal stories. People I've met, people I've now. No one's going to want to talk to me because they're going to be like, oh, don't tell her anything. But <laughs> you know, she'll make it seem a lot 
worse or more intense. But yeah, it, it usually comes from something personal. That's where my sources are usually. Yeah, the all of those sounded so interesting. You definitely have a special skill to be able to pull out those details and be able to expand on them and turn them into those full stories. Yeah, they're definitely not, they don't end up where they started, that's for sure. And, no. um, yeah, I'm kind of, it's fun though, I think, and I think it's a good way to harness kind of your imagination and give it a direction because especially these days, you know, you need to be yeah. able to have a focus. <laughs> so walk me through what your typical writing process is like for a pilot. Yeah, so typically I'll get an idea and I'll think about it. And once I realize that I'm kind of thinking about it more than I'm thinking about anything else, I I start to write down kind of notes about it. And usually it's when I'm driving or I'm in the shower <laughs> when the ideas come. I don't know why. Or the middle <laughs> of the night is also big. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this is unique to me by any means. I'm a total writer cliche. This is what most <laughs> people probably, you know, would say. Um, and uh, once I start seeing scenes and hearing dialogue, you know, running through my head about what, what, some, what one character would say to another, uh, that's kind of my cue where I know I've, I'm on to something. Mm-hmm. I'm, this is something I'm passionate about. This is something I want to write about. So I'll start writing. I usually outline um, loosely. Um, some people do really outlines that look exactly like a script. I think that's sort of the, the right way. If you had a right way to do it, the way most people do it would be to, to outline it in that way. Um, I, I do a beat sheet is more what I do. And then I, and then I fill it in later. Uh, so I know what's happening, where the story's going, where the tent poles of the story and um, the, the act outs and that kind of thing. And I usually know the end before I put my, I, I always know mm-hmm. the end before I write one word. And then, um, yeah, then I just start, once I have that kind of loose outline, I, I just start writing and I, I write the scenes in order. And then I kind of sit back and think about the characters and I'll, I'll, I'll run exercises on the characters like, there's things you can do where you interview your character as if they're visiting a therapist and you ask them, you know, various questions or you can use, there's a lot of questioning tools online, like the, the Vanity Fair uh, question thing in the back of the magazine. You can use that on your character. Um, and so I'll do that just to make sure the characters all sound really different and I need to know how each character feels about the other character. That's really important to just kind of narrow that down. Mm-hmm. and then I once I have a draft I, some people just do a what they call you know a vomit draft or just a draft to just get it out on the page and they don't edit as they go I do mm-hmm. edit as I go so it takes me a little longer to get that first draft um, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist so I I do try to I get hung up on words like I really mm-hmm. want the right word and sometimes I run into situations where that word doesn't exist and I kind of want to just invent that word right <laughs> then and there because it seems like a word that we need. So um, I spend a lot of time uh, editing as I go. And there's a lot of writers that would say, that's wrong, don't do that. And um, I don't really think there's a wrong way to do anything. I think if it works for you, then that's your process. Um, but yeah, I, I do edit as I go. And then once I have a draft, uh, I give it to my husband and he reads it because he's, um, free. 
<laughs> um, and I also share it with my writers group. I was in a writers group for a really long time, and um, and then you know sometimes they just break up. They just do people. Life happens. People go their separate ways. Um, mm-hmm. But I just recently joined um, one that I'm really enjoying. But my husband is has been reading my work for so long that he asks really good questions now, and and I'm sort of like, oh okay, you know, <laughs> it's like now you got to get good at it, and so now I feel like. It has to be even better before I give it to him because he's he's a tough grader, he really is. So, and um, and if he's not, then I just drill into him. I'm like, wait a minute, what do you mean you, you cannot have no notes? And I'll I'll point out things that I think are areas of a problem, and he'll go, oh yeah. And I'll go, then why didn't you say it? When you, <laughs> it's really funny, but um, it's created an in- interesting dynamic between us. Mm-hmm. But he um, he's a really good note giver and he's really thorough. So. But if he misses a typo, I come at him. Like, how did you miss this? <laughs> I sent this out. <laughs> it's pretty funny. It, it's inevitable once you send something out, you're going to find the typo. Yes. 3.4 seconds later. I'm sure you know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not fun. Don't forget the attachment. That's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great that you guys have that relation, that not only husband-wife relationship, but also that he can read your work and be really honest about it with you. Yeah, he's he's painfully objective. So, <laughs> um, I don't, which is great because you know you don't want someone, you know, your friend to read it. Which you know, I love having my friends read it, but I don't. I I usually ask them very few questions because they don't. They're probably not gonna, you know, they're gonna be afraid to be mean or hurt your feelings. Yeah. And, and my husband just is not. He's just like, he's cold calculated note giver (laughs) that's what you need though it's it's what i need yeah absolutely (laughs) in life everywhere just give me notes on everything (laughs) so is there like a typical amount of time it takes you to get through a pilot or is it kind of different for everyone you write you know it's funny um well of course there's a difference between the hour long and the half hour and i uh, I, I used to think, oh, the half hour will be so easy because it's so short. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> it's so much harder. <laughs> you just have to get so much in so little space. It's really a beast. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, if I say how long it takes, it makes me feel like, oh, well, then why aren't you writing 10 of those every six months, you know? But um, mm-hmm. it's a matter of, well, the kids it makes it a challenge because especially mm-hmm. right now, so things take longer. But I think... Once I have a good outline going, it, you know, it could be a couple of weeks till I have a good draft that I'm ready to, before I, you know, give it off for notes, I go back through it again. And uh, so the first kind of really rough draft can take two or three weeks. But if I, if I had to just sit down solid time writing, it, you know, it's much, much less. Mm-hmm. I don't get solid blocks to write really these days, but. But if I was working, obviously, it would be much faster because you'd be in a writer's room and then you get, you know, your, you come up with the structure of the story and then, you know, whoever's going to write it writes it and it goes much, much quicker. But when it's your own thing and it's a new pilot that doesn't already have a world behind it and, mm-hmm. you know, a, a direction to go and you're just kind of creating it from scratch, it, it does take a little longer. And then, you know, the notes process in the back and forth and the back and forth and then Typically, I would then give it to my manager, and then my manager would give uh, their notes and then, you know, take it from there and decide when you're going to take it out. That's usually the process. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, two or three weeks is still not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's not perfect either. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. not like I'm spitting out these drafts that are just ready to go. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's and, and so many times I've done a draft and, and come up with something that's like, oh, no, no, no. I'm in the middle of that right now, actually, <laughs> where it's like it was going to be a half an hour and, and it actually the story might actually be more. It might be better to tell it in an hour just to, to let it breathe. It's just as, mm -hmm. you know, that's one thing that, that I learned in um, in college is, um, you know, the story takes as long as it takes to tell. You, you, you decide the length sort of based on, you know, what's the best the best for the story, like to get it out there and without it being feeling rushed or feeling you know it's just it's as long as it needs to be is basically there's all these you know page count rules obviously you don't want mm -hmm. something super long you know <laughs> but nothing nothing you know too long especially with a feature but um it reveals itself as i write it whether or not it's a half an hour or an hour i think that comes becomes clear mm -hmm. yeah that definitely makes sense so you've also submitted scripts and won awards at several different screenwriting contests. How do you know when a script is ready to be sent in and reviewed? Um, that's a good question. I think, you know, it's so subjective. Um, I can think something's great and ready to go. And my number one note giver can think it's great and ready to go and it cannot place like obviously mm -hmm. I'm not posting about the times I don't place because ew so <laughs> I'm just posting you know trying to uplift and be excited and um you know that that year I did that had one script that won three contests and um and that was great and that's the one I was able mm -hmm. to pitch at Netflix but I think you just have to get it out there. You know, if you feel like it's it's ready and you feel like you're hitting everything you need to hit and the structure's right and the story, you know, you have an ending that makes people want to watch more or read more. Um, you just have to you just have to go for it. You just have to stick it out there and mm -hmm. <laughs> see how it goes. It's easier when you have a manager because they you can kind of bounce it off them and they can they have a much better sort of gauge for when something's ready. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're doing contests, I mean, the first contest I entered was, uh, it was Sundance, I think, or Slamdance, one of those, Slamdance, I think. And, um, you know, I got quarterfinalist, it was my first script, and I look at that script now, and I'm like, I don't even, how did you even send that out? <laughs> but um, it's been rewritten many times and has mm -hmm. done really well, but um, I really think you just have to dive in and just try otherwise you won't know and then you'll get notes and contest notes are are interesting because the the readers are very they vary greatly in how much experience they have you know, mm -hmm. depending on the contest and depending on what stage you're at usually the more experienced readers are in the later stages of the contest um, and you have to be careful about voice in contests because you'll get notes back that'll say um, well you can't use a different font or you can't use music in your script and and uh you can yes you can and <laughs> and um I have had scripts that that won that did that so it's very um subjective mm -hmm. so know that and then just try to learn as much as you can from the notes it can get really you know expensive entering contests so 
and I've, you know, done the blacklist thing and, and had a lot of success there and, and really love Franklin. And, uh, I think the blacklist is a great place to hang out and put your script up and, you know, test the waters, get some notes back and see how you do. So I think just, it's a, you just kind of know when you're ready. And then, you know, if you get a bunch of notes that clearly make it sound like you were not ready then you know you rewrite and to me rewriting is the best part of writing it's my favorite part making it better you know you have something to start with it's much easier than the blank page yeah <laughs> so yeah I love rewriting so I guess that's why I love notes because it gives me something to work on yeah yeah I agree with you I've done Obviously, at a much smaller scale, I've done playwriting contest, mm -hmm. and it is very subjective because I guess the rating is about is from fair to superior, and then some someone will give you a fair and they'll say this is terrible, and then someone else will give you a superior, and you're like, how am I? Who do I know? Or how do I know which score to go off of? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have gotten notes for the same script in a really big in a big contest, um, in the page, in the page contest, which is a, a, a big, you know, prestigious, well-known contest with thousands and thousands of entries. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I really respect them and I respect their readers and I, I've had great experience with page. Uh, and I, I remember getting a note on a script and the person was like, you have a real master of comedy. This is like Simpsons level humor and they loved it. And mm -hmm. the same script, same entry, same everything. Uh, other note was, um, this would be great if it was funny. Oh my so, gosh. You know, it's, uh, you just have to get really thick skin, which is difficult, mm -hmm. but you have to laugh because it is very subjective. And whenever I get a note that I feel like, oh wow, ouch. I remember that because that was like the same exact script the same exact contest and um and it was just funny you know to read and I probably should put that one on the website too just so people go oh wow okay <laughs> she's either hilarious or she's completely unfunny and this is just <laughs> so it can go both ways <laughs> yeah so you mentioned getting to pitch Netflix and getting good notes as a perk but do you think there are any other great benefits of entering contest as a writer? Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. There's so many I haven't even listed. So networking. <laughs> I've met a lot of uh, writer friends through networking. Someone will see that you won or placed and maybe they also placed and, and they'll reach out and then you have a friend. And I have a lot of friends like that and friends in my writer's group. Um, I enter and then the networking. Like I think script mm -hmm. pipeline is a great contest. Um, tracking board is great that people really... Uh, when you make a certain level, they, they really stick by you and help you try to get, you know, your script out there and help you try to get signed. Um, mm -hmm. Stage 32 was also super amazing. I'm, they sent me out on like nine meetings. I met Norman Lear. Wow. I mean, it was amazing. It was an amazing uh, time. And um, I think they're all very, very supportive and highly recommend those contests. Obviously the Nichols because the Nichols. So, um, I've never made it past like top 10% in that, but, um, I'm not going to stop trying <laughs> and, um, but, but really just, you know, those, those bigger contests, they have a lot of people who, who will, you know, back you and get your work to, to managers and agents and, and help you. And, and even like a script pipeline, 
he'll read, you know, Matt, Matt said, he'll read my work to this day. He'll just be like, shoot me a draft. I'll, I'll put you in the queue to read it just to help, you know, and, uh, and they're great. And so that's a really good benefit. And then of course the networking and meeting people. And, um, I think it does matter. You know, I know when you go to pitch something, you're not going to necessarily lead with, you know, Hey, I won, you know, whatever contest because mm-hmm it's a different world and they don't necessarily know about that, about all the, those contests, but they certainly know about some of them. Um, I just think it's a useful tool. And if you can, you know, use it to meet people and, you know, kind of promote your writing and get yourself out there, it's, it's definitely a good route to take, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That definitely sounds like, it's a great way to make connections and a great way to improve your writing. Yeah. And you know, I can still, and you make friends. I can still reach out Mm -hmm. to Amanda at stage 32 and talk to her. I can talk to Matt. I can, you know, reach out to Chris at tracking board. They're always there for you and they really just want the best for you and um, just really genuine people. And I, I really enjoyed working with every contest that I've worked with them. LA international was great. They were Mm -hmm. really helpful and, um, and supportive, really supportive. So yeah, contests, yay contests. <laughs> get a, they get a bad rap sometimes, and and you know sometimes, and I, and I just always try to, kind of let people know what my experience has been, and mm-hmm. um, you know whether I've won or not. You know I've I've still got a lot out of it. I think. Yeah, they definitely sound beneficial. Yeah. So I have a few questions that I ask everyone who comes on She Wrote That. Okay. The first one being, if you could go back in time to when you first began writing professionally, what advice would you give yourself? Um, the number one thing I would say is don't make decisions out of fear. Um, and that, that goes in life as well. I think, you know, when you first get out there and you've got a script and you're maybe you meet a manager and and you think I mean I've heard a lot of people have signed with someone who that they they were afraid they wouldn't be asked by anyone else so they sign with the first person they meet even though they don't feel you know a connection or they don't feel like the person's on the same page with them with their writing Um, I would say don't just be but don't back yourself into a corner believe that the right person will come along and I think that goes with like all decisions just really uh, be thoughtful and not fearful about the choices that you make yeah it's so important to have faith in yourself it really is and and to um, believe that it will work out you know if you keep trying and don't quit and keep improving it's it's going to work out mm-hmm um, what advice do you have for other female writers in particular? Hmm. Well, huh, that's a good question. Female writers in particular. I, I don't, I tend to not look at us as separate, but I know that we are because, you know, we're underrepresented in, in writer's room, but hopefully that's changing. I think the biggest, I would, I don't know that I have advice, uh, because I haven't really gotten to the other side yet and I'm not in a writer's room and I'm just hopeful that the women who 
came before me and are writing and that hopefully, you know, I'll eventually get into a writer's room and be working. I hope that particularly in this time of COVID that moms aren't left behind because we're having to do so much at mm-hmm. once, you know, and it's really easy to go backwards in time for women and be in a place where we were not represented and we're not in the room because we have children. And I've been asked on interviews for production jobs, you know, do you have children? And, you know, friends of mine had said, don't, don't tell them you have kids, you won't get the job. And I just really hope that that changes. And I hope that, that the women who are, you know, coming before me are, I know they're working on it. And I hope that I can be in a position one day to just have a really more family friendly kind of schedule. We can get a lot done. You know, Mm -hmm. we don't have to be there 14 hours. I really don't think that we do. I think we can do this. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that there's a balance, you know, and um, maybe some days are longer and some days aren't, but I think everyone will be better when we realize the importance of the role of parenting. And, um, and, and when you're a parent, you bring a lot to the table. You have so many experiences Mm -hmm. that, um, that are funny and, um, that contribute, you know, to storytelling. And so, yeah, I would say just don't give up. And if you do make it help other women up, that's, that's, my goal in, you know, if I do get sell a TV show or be in a writer's mm-hmm. room, I really want to be able to be in a position where I can help someone else. So always be looking out for, for each other. Yeah, that is such an interesting insight. I really hope that what's going on right now and having to work from home doesn't set anything back any further. Yeah, it's, it's scary for sure. Cause, um, you know, to know that even before this, I've been asked if I have children. And, mm-hmm. uh, so <laughs> after this, I don't imagine, you know, that's going to get any better, but hopefully it, it will. So hopefully we're making more progress. It's just, it's a scary, uh, place to be mm-hmm. in when you have, and, and I'm not even an essential worker, you know, I'm just a writer. I can, I can put that aside much easier than, you know, women I know who are working in jobs that are essential, you know, doctors, nurses, housekeeping, everything. And, um, and they have to do both things and it's it's Mm -hmm. near impossible. And so I think that we really have to be sure that we're looking out for each other. So that would be Mm -hmm. my advice is to always go forward with other women in mind, you know, that you're, you're forging a path and to always look back and see who needs a hand up. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully there will be positive change in the future. Definitely. (laughs) and I know there are a lot but what do you think is the most important skill that a writer can have Hmm. well it depends on your personality because some sometimes uh you know having that sort of that diligence and that ability to not be distracted and really focus uh is challenging so I would say you know having that ability is is something good to hone in on but I I do think the most important skill as a writer, even though writing is a solo endeavor, would be uh, the ability to collaborate and and take input and feedback and notes from people because it's only going to make your work better mm-hmm. no matter what. It will never hurt the work to just take a pass on a note 
or, um, you know, involve someone else, let someone else have some ideas and, you know, there's room for, there's room for all the ideas. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, that's my advice. Definitely, uh, be collaborative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really true. Just as we were saying earlier. And are there any books or publications or scripts that you've read that have seriously, seriously changed how you approach writing or what you like to write about? Um, so I think I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I like to read a lot of his work. Um, I, I try to read every, not every pilot, but as many pilots in the genres that I write as I can. Um, and I don't have anything, uh, uh, Marvelous Miss Maisel script I thought was really well done. Mm -hmm. Um, I really like the glow script, the pilot. Um, I don't know that there's anything that's changed, but it definitely informs me. I feel like there are these rules and then you read scripts and are these, you know, rules that people talk about that aren't really there because the main, the most important thing is that you, you inject your voice into your work. So you just don't mm -hmm. sound like any other script. So, um, I think reading, those kinds of scripts, scripts by writers who are not afraid to use their voice mm -hmm. has been empowering for me. Um, and also hearing people that I know who are successful writers really stress that the most important thing is the story and, and, and your, and getting your voice out there. Because if you want to get staffed, uh, you need to have a perspective and a point of view and you need to be able to show on the page what you bring to the room and, um, your personality, uh, your writing style. So I try to read things that that um, that speak to my writing style so mm -hmm. I can kind of understand better. Um, but yeah, so those are kind of some recents that I've, that I've read. Um, Dead to Me, I, I really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. The Ozark Pilot, those are kind of darker ones. I was reading mm -hmm. kind of some darker things because I'm working on that darker uh, piece. So yeah, yeah, I try to read a lot of scripts and those are some of the ones that have kind of been standouts for me. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure I'm in any field reading a lot of what you're doing of similar works is definitely helpful. Yeah, and um, I read a lot. Well, some of the people in my writer's group uh, write horror, so I imagine I'll be reading some of that soon, which I don't <laughs> typically read. But, you know, you can learn from everything. So I'm, I'm mm -hmm. actually excited to, to kind of explore that genre. And who knows, maybe write it one day. I don't know. Can't see it, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll inspire you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I know it may be hard to choose, but do you have a favorite script or a couple of favorite scripts that you've written? Oh, that I've written? No, oh, I thought you were going to ask me, and I was all ready with Quentin Tarantino. Um, <laughs> I was like, boom, ready to answer that question. Uh, I would, oh, that I've written, well, I think, you know, obviously for personal reasons, Fab Girls is, is my favorite, um, uh, because it's inspired by my mom and she mm -hmm. passed away 17 months ago. I don't say it in years cause it seems too like real that way. Mm -hmm. I like months, but, um, yeah, so I lost my mom 17 months ago and this story, uh, is her story, you know, I mean, it's obviously with my spin on it, like, but it's inspired by her and her time mm -hmm. doing that. So it's, you know, um, definitely has a special place in my heart 
for sure. And I really hope that we get to tell the story of these women because they're really important and, um, and super relatable to what's going on now with, you know, moms in the workforce. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I love those stories that tell about specifically about women who mm-hmm. helped make history, who don't get that sort of acknowledgement. Yeah. Especially I think blue collar women, women who are, you know, like, like, like me, you know, who don't <laughs> have, uh, you know, who work jobs like maids and, and restaurants and, and, uh, didn't necessarily have the path to opportunity presented in such an obvious way mm-hmm. as maybe a male counterpart would have. So I think those stories are infinitely, um, interesting and relatable and, um, we don't, we don't see a lot about single moms in, in the 70s and what that was really like. Um, yeah, so I think it's, it's interesting and definitely holds a place in my heart for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully you'll get a chance to bring that to life. Yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> and when people read your work, what do you hope their biggest takeaway is? Hmm. Um, I think I hope that they felt it was there it was human you know like they could really um see the characters and feel for the characters i think is probably the biggest when you're when you're so engrossed in something that you you really care about what happens to the characters i think is is the hope that i'm you know kind of getting that out there and making people really care about these people and want to know hey, what happened to them how did that go how did that end how did that what was that path like and um and seeing something maybe they had never known about before maybe never experienced you know eternum and the grief and that level of grief mm-hmm. and I wrote that before I had kids and so I did a rewrite after having kids because I just had such a greater understanding of what that loss would look like you know might look like and um and you know with fab girls like really trying to get people to understand um the path of of a single mom with with so much um just with a human kind of eye where they can really empathize empathy i think is is critical Mm -hmm. and i think if you can get your readers to empathize with your characters and, and want to go on a journey with them, then that's the greatest gift. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely a great goal to have, especially as a screenwriter. And that's all I have for today, but thank you so much for joining me and talking with me. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Once again, a huge thank you to Heidi for joining me on the podcast up with her and her work, you can find her on Twitter at Heidi Nyberg. To learn more about this show, you can find us on Twitter at She Wrote That Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at She Wrote That Podcast. And make sure to subscribe, give us a review and follow wherever you get your podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.